Did I stump you again? No, I know what that is. That's uh, Sanford and Son. That's Sanford and Son. One of the best TV themes that is out there, in my opinion. I think. You think so? I do. I like the Sanford and Son. It's very iconic. It's uh, it's not the Rockford Files, if you remember that one. I do remember that one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Carol, I like Barney Miller. Barney Miller, also a great, great theme song. That uh, jazzy feel to it. Oh, yeah. So are we going to... Of course, when we have our opening, we just never quite sure what we're going to get, but that's okay. Yeah, I decided since you said mix it up that yeah. I'm going to mix it up a little bit. And so so you have. Yeah. All but, right. Go ahead. What? I might retire the Dave thing. Either a day, or maybe bring it back. Maybe it'll just be something that becomes nostalgic for us. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is an open letter. If you're confused and thought maybe you'd slipped into a 70s sitcom tribute, it's not. Um this is actually an open letter podcast. This is Dave. Uh, I'm the host. Hi, Dave. Hi, Carol. And there to my right, you can't see her, but I can, and I'm glad I can, is my lovely new bride, Carol Wilson Tisma. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> you guys say hi to the listeners, too. Oh, hello, listeners. Yeah. All right. And of course, across from me is my good friend, my compadre, the producer of the show, Mr. Chad Cashman. That would be me. That would be you. And on the phone for part two of our talk is Leith McHugh. Hello, Leith. Hello, everyone. How is your day going, Leith? It has been a good day today. It really has, all day long. Excellent. I just have one question. Can you see mountains from where you live? It's a good question. <laughs> You're going to be so jealous. <laughs> so there we know the answer right there, don't we? Yeah. I can lay in my master bed and see mountains. I can sit at my dining room table and see mountains. Oh, my goodness. I can sit on my couch and see mountains. I am so jealous. Yeah. I'll have to send you guys some pictures. Okay. Well, I saw some of the pictures that you posted on your Facebook page, so we do have a little bit of an idea of, oh, yeah. of the house because you guys um, – and, and in fact, I – we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna He's get into that talking. a little bit. Yeah, no, it's called research. Oh, <laughs> it's okay if you're doing it for a podcast. <laughs> we're gonna go with that. Um, we're gonna do our. We start this program off the same way every time, and that is a little thing we like to call off the cuff, where I ask a question that's popped in my head within somewhere in the last five to ten minutes, and I ask all of you to answer the question. So today's question is in actually in honor of my son, Josh, who posed this question to me not more than a few days ago. The question is, which fictional world do you feel you know the most about? What fictional world do you think you know the most about? See, for him, it's an easy one because we, growing up, were very conservative. We didn't have a lot of movies, but we did have the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So, Joshua, real easy question. For him, he just knows probably more about the Lord of the Rings universe than most people do. Uh, Chad, do you have an answer for this one? Uh, sure, since I'm not really too familiar to what you're actually talking about. <laughs> 
any fictional world. Any fictional world. Any fictional world. We're gonna, I'm going to give you a chance to think. Carol, we're going to start with you because I know you have an answer for this. I do. Absolutely. It's Narnia. And, and why Narnia? Because I read the Chronicles of Narnia about, oh, a dozen times when I was growing up. When's the last time you read them? Mm, probably about 10 years ago when I read them to my kids. Okay. All right. Great books. I've read them. It's a tough one for me. I'm going to go with a world I know a lot about because I've read the books a few times. Is one of my favorite authors. His name is Patrick Rothfuss, and he has written a book called The Name of the Wind and a secondary book called The Wise Man's Fear. And I've read through those books a few times and find them to be very, very interesting. Great, great reads. Still waiting for book three for all of you listeners out there. You know of what I speak. Lise, do you have an answer? You know, I promise I'm not cheating, um, <laughs> but The Lord of the Rings, that that's what I was going to say. Oh, really? Um, Yes, and partially because I'm not a huge fiction person. Mm-hmm. Fiction kind of bugs me a little bit because <laughs> it's not real. And so I do love The Lord of the Rings because of the story and beauty and romance and good versus evil and just all the great actors. Yeah, so I, that's, I would say that's my answer. Did you read the books or did you just watch the movies? I definitely just watched the movies. Ah, gotcha. I'm not a huge reader, so, yeah. I've gotten through the books and The Hobbit and the movies, but I could not read. There is a book called The Silmarillion, which, have you heard of that book? Mm -mm, No. Anyway, it's kind of like, because Tolkien was so obsessed with this world, he wrote like a book, uh, like a history book of the Lord of the Rings, of Middle Earth, because he was so enamored with it and told all like the... uh, the myths and legends in the history of the world. So it's not a real great read. It's kind of like reading through the encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah, oh. of, except none yeah. of it's real. <laughs> so, so that might stretch. That that might be a little too much for you. Chad, it's your turn. It's my turn. Yeah, what you got? Oh. <laughs> I don't it's, get it's it. It's not really a world, though. It it's is. multiple <laughs> worlds. Did you know I've met people that actually have not seen any of the Star Wars movies? Yeah, they're called crazy. Yeah. Leith, have you met anyone who has not seen the Star Wars movies? <laughs> have you ever asked do you want, do you want me to be honest? You haven't seen any of them. You haven't, have you? Nice. I think I've seen part of one. <laughs> you think you're not even sure. Nice. I like it. Like, my family was watching it, and so I kind of watched it that way. But, Uh yeah, I'm just not. My whole family's into it, and I'm just not. No, that's okay. Chad Chad wants to cancel the podcast. He says, we're done. I'm like, no. I don't even know you. (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. All right. Well, thanks for playing along with our off-the-cuff segment there. A little bit picking up where we left off. Now, for our listeners, we're going to be releasing these episodes pretty much back-to-back. But the last time we talked to Leith was, well, how long ago was that, Leith? Was that like four weeks ago, three weeks ago, something like that? Was it pre-wedding or I think it was was after after. wedding. It was after the wedding. It was After the wedding, yeah. Yeah. I think she was the first after the wedding, then the ghost hunters. Yeah, Leith, we had the Mm -hmm. ghost hunters on the last couple weeks. That's right. How'd that go? It was interesting. It was Um, an adventure. 
Yeah, yeah. Professor Wilson, that's what I call Carol when she goes into professor mode. <laughs> so <laughs> Professor Wilson showed up and she kind of grilled him a little bit. I'm going to ask you this. It's not on my questions, but do you believe in ghosts? My like initial answer would be no, I don't. But I also haven't spent a ton of time as I've gotten older, like thinking about that and what I would yeah. believe about that. Like when I was younger, I never believed in it. You know, when I was in my 20s, I didn't. But somebody, my daughter was recently talking about someone saying something about ghosts. And I remember thinking, huh, I kind of want to think about that and see what I think about that. But I didn't think about that anymore. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting couple of uh, podcasts for us because I think we were able to challenge them. And in some ways we were challenged too, because I had to go back and go, well, what does the Bible really say about this? It's fascinating. It is, in our culture, in our world, is very, very interested in the supernatural, no doubt about it, because uh, mm -hmm. it's all over the media. All right, so, Leith, a couple weeks ago now, you had a special party that I was aware of that you threw on January 28th. Could you tell us a little bit about what that party was and how it went? Ah, yes, I would love to. So our sweet Hadley died Six years ago, on January 28th, each year we we do something to honor that day and celebrate her life. Last year, we decided that we needed to start having a party on that day because it was a sad day and it was a hard day and it was like one more sad and hard holiday or anniversary. And so we decided that we need to have a party. So we did. There's this local restaurant that, uh, well, it's it's not just local. I think it's a chain um, called Southern Hospitality. And they have this great room that's called the Bourbon Room, just a kind of quaint little meeting space. And so I had called them and said, hey, can we reserve that? And they were like, yeah, no problem. So we just kind of put it this year. We just put on Facebook and said, everybody come, you're invited. I think we ended up with, we probably had close to 100 people coming in and out there throughout the night. And it was just so sweet. We decided not to do anything formal as far as like, you know, having a presentation or talking or anything like that. We just showed up and people showed up and we talked a little bit about Hads in our conversations and a lot of it we didn't talk about her and people just kind of just showed up just to honor her. And it was really, really joyful and we felt loved. We felt like Hadley was loved and not forgotten and it was a really special night. That's really cool. She would have been 18 this year, right? Yes. Can't believe that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. How did you commemorate or recognize that date in years past then? You said it was tough, but I mean, what did that, what did that look like for your family? I, I really don't even remember what we used to do. I know we would wear purple and encourage people to wear purple on those days because we always thought purple was her favorite color. Although one of her classmates, when she was in like third grade or something, sixth grade maybe, said to her aide at school, why did her parents always dress her in pink and purple? Her favorite colors are navy blue and red. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we were like, oh, really? That's okay. All these years we've been dressing her in girly colors and maybe she doesn't want them? <laughs> it was cute. So people would wear purple, and I don't know that we did much other than just kind of spend time together as a family, maybe go to a movie. Uh, I really, I can't even remember now that you're asking. I'm like, I don't know what we used to do. Yeah. I just know that last year we said we're not doing things the way that we've typically done them because it was holidays and birthdays and anniversaries for everybody. Have We've also rebooted that aspect of our world. Oh, really? So we said last year we're not going to do it the same. So what can we do that's joyful 
and honoring and we're not going to sit home. I think it started as like we decided we didn't want to just like sit home, just the three of us or the four of us whenever Holden was around. But like friends make things more fun in those times and wine makes things more fun and food (laughs) makes things more fun. So we did that. (laughs) Was Holden able to come home for that then? No, he wasn't. We kind of debated on whether or not to fly him home, but he had just been home at Christmas and we have several things that we're doing the next couple months that we're going to be, everyone's going to be traveling for and he's going to be traveling for. So no, he was not able to be there, but. But it was still cool. Hey, now what you're, when you kind of explained that you put it out on, so what you did that I saw is you just kind of put out this blanket invite out on Facebook, right? (laughs) You just kind of said, Hey, we're doing this thing. This is where it is. This is the time. Show up if you want to show up. Is yes. that right? Yep. <laughs> now, that's cool, but it's definitely different. It's kind of weird. Aren't you a little bit of afraid of who's going to show up? I mean, isn't there some trepidation of like, oh, no, what if that one guy comes, you know, or something like that? What if, what if Dave and Carol show up from Michigan? That's a great question. <laughs> that's a restraining order. <laughs> that, that that needs a restraining that, order. Yeah, that would need a restraining order. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good question. We entertain a lot, and most of that time in our hearts and minds, everyone's invited. Because even the folks who may not, it depends on what it is. Like we did a um, songs and spirits a couple months ago. Let's see when was that? I can't remember. I think it was in January. So we had a friend come play guitar. And he just sang, and we probably had, I don't know, 50 to 75 people pop in for that. And that was also an open invite on Facebook. Yeah. Those kinds of times aren't necessarily like intimate times. Okay. There's so many people, and we we wanted to be surrounded by people and just keep it lighthearted. Yeah. There's so many people that even if that person shows up who you're kind of like, oh, awesome, they just showed up. Somebody (laughs) else will want to talk to them. Anyway, it's not our job to make sure everybody's happy that's there, but we do want everyone to feel loved and welcome. So what other holidays do you do like that? How do you celebrate holidays? Well, this is the first time that we have done that. We, in the past, we would do like Thanksgiving would always be with my husband's family We have been, especially with holidays, in need of life. Right. And if it's not going to be joyful and life-giving on a holiday, that's not always the best for us. Sure. We love our family, and we love being with them. But this year we said, you're welcome to come to our house, and we're also going to have all these other folks there as well. And so that was new for us to do this year, and it was awesome. It was such a delightful holiday. So we haven't done that before. So I think that's kind of a new thing for us that we would like to continue to incorporate. Christmas, we figured out after Hadley died that our family needed to not sit around like Christmas Day and the day after. It's like the hype and lead up to Christmas is always Mm, so fun. And we'd be with my husband's family and the kids and everybody and everybody's so excited. And then all of a sudden it's kind of over with about halfway through the day. Mm-hmm. and you could start feeling it set in. So we decided that we would go drive to Denver. It's about an hour, Denver's about an hour from us, and we would spend our Christmas night in Denver at a fun hotel and 
find one of the few restaurants that's open and then go <laughs> shopping all day the next day and <laughs> eat out some more and then come home on the 26th. I like these ideas, so, David. Did you get any pushback from family? Because I remember when when I first started, you and I first started talking through email about coming on the podcast. It was a little before Thanksgiving, and I remember you doing Thanksgiving that way. And just like, hey, we're going to provide this space. If you need a place to be, you're, you're welcome here, like regardless of who you are. Did you get pushback from any uh, family members or at least a hint of pushback on that? We did a little bit. Part of the family was traveling anyway, so that was okay. Yeah, definitely from the regard of it not being small. Like the McHugh, us four McHughes, we love parties and we love people and most often feel like the more the merrier when yeah. you're celebrating. And our whole entire family doesn't feel like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Is it because... I mean, a lot of times people who are a little bit more introverted are not wanting more people around, especially people that they don't mm-hmm. know. And it sounds like your family is pretty extroverted. Yeah, all four of us are very extroverted. Uh, well, my husband is, he calls himself an introvert disguised as an extrovert okay. or something like that. He has a term for it, but he can, he loves people and loves you know, to have, like, he totally loves having all these people over and doing all this entertaining, and he needs to recharge without people, whereas the next day I could continue being around people. I see. So you're, like, the true, like, wow, extrovert. I think it's a seven on the Enneagram or something like that, where it's, like, people energize you. People definitely energize me, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I'm not. (laughs) <laughs> i'm not it's, it's kind of funny how that works so no it's kind of funny because my in my family we tend to mostly be introverts and in david's family they're mostly extroverts it's true so holidays with our families together are very interesting yeah that's kind of a new thing for us i want to for our yeah. listeners i mean if you haven't listened to the first part of our story with Leith here, you know, you're, we're, we're referencing things that we, where we discussed in great depth in the first podcast. So I'm just going to recap a little bit for people who are just kind of listening in who Leith is. I heard Leith uh, tell her story on Rob Bell's podcast, which he cleverly calls the Robcast. Leith's family lives out in Colorado and she has um, a son and, and two daughters and and one of the daughters was uh, had very special needs when she was born, and uh, she lived to be 12 years old and uh, and passed away. We talked about that and what that was like, and I'm really excited to have Leith back in or on the show because we're going to be able to kind of talk. We we left, we we ended the story. It was a tough spot because we had talked about how your son was with Hadley, your daughter Holden was holding her um, when she passed away and what an incredibly beautiful touching moment and heartbreaking moment that was to even to listen to for me twice now. Um, So that's kind of where we've been and there's a lot more detail. So please listen to the first podcast if you haven't, but I want to kind of pick up a little bit where we left off. Hadley's passed away and you've gone home and you're kind of trying to figure out how do we survive now and what does it look like now? That sounds right to me. Okay. Yeah. I want to just kind of, can you 
kind of go back and pick a little up where we left off. Talk to us about about how those first few months and then the first year, what what that was like living in that state of mourning and grief. It was awful. I don't ever want to repeat that. Sure. It's somewhere in the ballpark of what you can imagine, and then in addition, the unimaginable. I think we all were, it was such a funk. Like, we knew that Hadley wasn't going to live forever. She wasn't going to probably live to be 30, 35, anything like that. But we did not know she was going to die when she was 12. And she had almost died two years prior, um, and then she didn't. And then she was super healthy when she actually died. I mean, it turned out that a couple days prior to her dying, she had gotten pneumonia. But besides that, like overall, her, her health was really good. She had started suffering more. Like her body was just hurting. I think her scoliosis made her uncomfortable. And there was this beauty and terror in a sense of relief because you knew she didn't hurt anymore and such deep grief because the only way that she couldn't hurt anymore was to not be with us anymore. And so it was awful wishing it never had to be that way anyways. And I would say the kids, Avery was pretty little and she just kind of carried on her days pretty normally. She did have her school counselor who was so dear and she had freedom to head to her office anytime that she wanted well. And so she was so sweet. She would have, uh, I think she had an actual pot for soup that she had in her office (laughs) and told the girls that they could put, it was called tear soup and they could put their tears in there. And so they would write things on paper and put it in the pot. And Mm. my memory's a little foggy right now on it, but I think it was based on a book called Tear Soup. Anyway, that's what I mostly remember about Avery going back to school. And then Holden was in a hard place in life in general, but he kind of pressed on and carried out the school year. Aaron had to go back to work a couple weeks, I think, after Hadley died. And so, you know, things were changing drastically for us financially overnight because I was no longer going to be her getting paid to be her CNA, certified nurse's aide. Oh, wow. So things had shifted a little bit for us in that regard. And Holden was 15, right? He was 15, yes. Okay. So you have just these huge, huge life changes and shifts, and you talk about stressing a marriage out. My goodness. I mean, my number one goal... You know, I've got, I've told you, I've got four kids and my, of course, my number one fear in life is to lose one of my children. And so mm-hmm. you throw that dynamic in your family and then throw financial problems on top of that. I mean, how mm-hmm. did you guys survive? You know, sometimes I, I really don't know, especially as we've all gotten well, I look back and think like, I'm, I literally don't know how we did it sometimes. We're really good friends. And we make a great team. And I think that we had spent so many years just being on like autopilot of we got to keep going. We got to keep going. We got to keep going. And one one foot in front of the the other, right? Yeah. And so I think we, we just continued to do that. And I think somewhere early along the way, somebody had talked to us about 
grief and how everybody in our family was going to grieve differently. Yeah. And that really stuck with me and was really helpful mm. because we all did grieve very differently. Mm. And because I was aware of that, then I, I tried not to. I hope I didn't have expectations of how anybody else should be doing it mm-hmm. and didn't have a ton of expectations on myself of how I should be doing it. And I knew I needed to take care of myself and keep my kids fed and cared for. And I, I kind of don't remember a lot of that year. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fuzzy and foggy. I know that I I spent the first 14 or so months just grieving. And I would go to yoga because I knew I didn't even like love yoga that much, but my friends would make me go. And I knew that it was mentally keeping me above waterline who are the couple people there that that uh, you give a little bit of shout out to your friends here who are a couple of people who get, who kept you sane oh gosh well my my special um sherry snyder definitely was my a huge life preserver for me my friend uh, one of my dearest friends betsy brown was would drag me to yoga often <laughs> Gosh, there's so many. We'd be here for an hour if I listed everybody. But sure, it's like um, the Academy Awards. I'd like to thank Betsy Brown. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I seriously could go on and on. We had just our whole community was so so caring and kind and tender with us, and people continued to bring us meals for a while. And yeah, we, I just feel like we were very well taken care of in our community, and even in like our school community, Hadley School. Um, people kind of came out of the woodworks and would leave gifts on our door or um, we have a really sick sense of humor in our family. And so we would get a lot of gift cards to go to dinner and our <laughs> PF Ting's was one of the places that we went all the time. I like that and place. Our, I love that place. It's so good. I, I don't um, think I've ever been there. The egg drop soup is the best I've ever had. I'm just saying a little plug for PF Chang's. If you want to oh, sponsor yum. the podcast, P.F. Chang's, you're welcome to. Yes. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no. awesome. Yeah, P.F. Chang's is awesome. I think we need to go there sometime. We have a gift card. We do? We do. <laughs> Remember? Was I, it a wedding gift? It. No, it was from my a, a gift from my last girlfriend. What? <laughs> David? I told you that. Uh, no, I got to hear this. Podcast. Let's go. Now suddenly it becomes marriage counseling. Lee, could you walk us through this? Carol's feeling. No. <laughs> That's another podcast. We can do that another time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, did you, I mean, just, I, I want to, the next thing we're going to talk about here is how you rebooted your life because I'm very interested in that. But you knew that you were going to grieve differently. Could you give us a little perspective of what that looked like? And did you ever get frustrated with where other people were in their grief cycle? Mm, good question. Real quick, let me tie up my loose end there, which was... Um, oh, I'm sorry. With, I about the P- Yeah. No, that's okay, but I thought listeners would probably be like, wait, what does a sixth sense of humor have to do with P.F. Chang's? Um, <laughs> I was just wondering that. I was wondering. Actually. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we had so many of them, and at some point, the kids started calling them dead sister dollars. Oh and wow! So oh, like, oh wow! Do you have any more dead sister dollars to go out to eat on? The, the DSDs. <laughs> The DSDs. Yes, They're terrible. <laughs> well, it, but it do, is, but we have a very sick sense of humor in our family, and it's part of how we cope yeah. with yeah. things. And so, even like I don't know, a couple of years ago, I was 
it was when Holden still lived at home, and I was yelling downstairs, like, who stole my scotch tape? And they yelled up the stairs, and they said, Hadley did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So yeah. anyway, um, okay, so moving along, grieving differently. Carol, Carol's got a question. Carol's got a comment on oh. that. Well, yeah. I was just thinking a lot of times when you're in a traumatic situation or or in a difficult thing, sometimes you find ways to cope with it with a sick sense of humor that other people just could not understand. And I remember yeah, I I had cancer and had to have a, a radiation treatment. It was just thyroid cancer. But the doctor said I had to flush the toilet a couple times because I would my urine would be radioactive. What? Yeah. And what? I just thought that was so funny. <laughs> so I can remember when we turned out the lights and checked to see if it would glow in the dark. <laughs> and I told somebody about oh that and they God. thought that was really dark. And I was like, but it made us laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and it's things that only your family's really going to understand. It's, and it's a, in, in your way, it's your own way of honoring yeah. her and keeping yeah. you know yeah. the memory of her and keeping her around. Right. Yes. And uh, but thank you for yeah. the radioactive urine story. That was good. <laughs> hey. Hilarious. Sounds like a bad, a bad <laughs> band name. Anyway, so I'm sorry. You can answer the question now, Lee. The other question. What question? Okay. Was okay. That? So we're back to oh, back to grief. Differently. Yeah. How do you grieve differently? Did yes. you ever get um, uh, frustrated with someone else in the when if they were grieving differently? Did that ever rub each other the wrong way because you're in different stages? You know, I think with me and Aaron. I, I don't remember right now feeling rubbed the wrong way. I remember, some, I would say probably like most of the time, feeling grateful that we were in a different place because mm. we were almost never down, down at the same time. So if I wasn't doing very well, usually he was doing okay. And then if I was doing, if he wasn't doing well, maybe I was doing okay. I'm actually grateful for that because it gave us a chance to like give each other some space and like, okay, I've got the kids if you need to check out and we could kind of tag team that way. Mm -hmm. I don't remember being frustrated. I remember being a little concerned sometimes that he wasn't probably grieving a ton and there was some truth and reality to that. And one of our counselors along the way said that, Grief will make it, well, in anything, but grief especially will make its way out. It's just whether or not you choose to mm-hmm. let it out and process it or if it will find its way out. So, like, as we've seen with Aaron over the last, or, you know, two years ago or so, not so much today, but um, but grief was making its way out. It, it could no longer stay in. And he did grieve a lot, like I would say for a man. <laughs> he yeah. grieved a decent amount, but there was so much more in there and for for all of us i'm sure there always will be and then with the kids i don't i don't think i was ever you know annoyed with the way that they were but definitely felt concerned at times that they weren't really grieving or maybe they didn't seem super sad or that kind of thing but i see now in their maturity i definitely see the ways that they deal with that now and I'm always curious about the the cycle of of grief because I think that's one of the um, the items the church doesn't talk about or deal with well, and mm-hmm. a lot of our believer, a lot of our listeners are believers in Christ and, and followers, and um, so I think it's one of those things that we need to talk about. You know what what mm-hmm. can that look like? And I listened to a podcast recently. It was a fictional story um, called Life After, and it was 
based around a, a guy who had lost his wife. And then through social media, she kind of comes back and it's kind of weird and stuff. But he, there was this whole <laughs> society of people that were gathering together that had lost significant loved ones. And every, their common thread was, is people always, after a time, go, when are you going to get over this? either explicitly mm. or implicitly, just like you need to be done with this sometime. You, you know, there's, we have this window for you, you know, the non-grieving mm-hmm. people. And so there's this window where we have empathy and sympathy for you, but then you kind of need to get over it because mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of sick of you grieving. And we, yeah. want, we want the old person back that we used to know. Well, and besides yeah. that, you know, the, the joy of the Lord is my strength and all the cliches about Christians are supposed yeah. to have joy and not not be sad and not sorrow do you, yeah. so huh, mm-hmm. do you have a response to any of that or just well i think that in my experience i do not believe that there are four stages of grief and that they mm-hmm. are you know anger and blah 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 whatever right. i do not believe that in my experience okay somebody else's experience maybe sure i believe that someone told me this um I think it was one of my dearest friends, Heather, I think is the one that told me about a book that she had read after her father passed away, and it talked about um, grief being more like waves. Yeah. Like sometimes, you know, you're taken out completely, mm. swept off your feet by the grief. And then in the next 30 seconds, you might just feel it kind of on your toes a little bit. That it was the thing that was the most true for me. And I think just understanding that you never know what someone's going through, even if you've been through a similar situation. So how can you help somebody who's grieving like that? What can you do to to come alongside them and be a friend? Honestly, I think just, you know, not having expectations of how they should do it and what they should do, giving them space and just listening – for me, just having people being present and listening, asking me about Hadley, asking me about her death, asking me about her life was the most helpful thing. Mm. But if people tried to avoid talking about her because they were scared they were going to upset me, right? it actually upset me more that they would avoid talking right. about her or avoid and not acknowledge that she was dead. I still, like, I love it when people ask me about her, and I love talking about her, and I could go on and on when I do, and I can feel myself light up when I start talking about her. But people giving advice or, you know, saying, well, here's what you should do, and um, that that was not helpful yeah. for me. They just had no agenda for you. They didn't need you to be anywhere right. or done with it or in a right. stage or... Yeah, that's pretty cool. I know that for us, holidays, this is the first time holidays have been joyful for me. And I I think the rest of my family would agree with that, too. So six years later, Mm. we just had a great Thanksgiving, and then we had a great Christmas. That's cool. That's what it took for us. Now, next year could be really hard again. Like, who knows? Yeah. It doesn't have to be anything. It's yeah. going to be what it's going to be, and you're going to try to prepare for whatever it's supposed to be, and you'll you'll do it. During that time of grief, do you have any regrets from that 
grieving period, that time period before you got healthy? Is there anything that you would do differently? Or you could go what hmm. if you could time travel, go back to talk to Leith four or five, six years ago and say, you know, hey, here's here's what, you know, maybe you should try to do this differently or something like that. Hmm, that's good. Um probably more than anything, I don't I don't feel like any major regrets, but more than anything, I wish I would have just consistently had grace for myself. Mm, like, I, you know, I know there were times that I'd be like, oh, my gosh, you've got to get up. You've got to get moving. You've got to get stuff done. <laughs> you've got to be more present. You've got, you know. Yeah. And now that I'm walking with some friends in grief, especially a few that are, have lost children, mm. um, I hear them saying some similar things, and all I can and, you know, tell them back is like, oh my gosh, just you, you know, I, I invite you to have grace for yourself yeah. because you, you got like a free pass for a really long time. Yeah. And I wished I had had a little bit more grace with my, I feel like at moments I did, but then I would go, okay, you like, that's enough. Now you, you got to pull it together today. You know, sure. and it's interesting, and, like why we think we need to do that. I know. And there's, I don't even know that anyone was telling me. I just like in myself, I felt like I should. And yeah, I think there's an expectation even more when you're a mom that you've got to mm-hmm. pull it together for the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I did catch myself um, several years into Hadley's death. I remember, I think I ended up talking to Avery about like almost apologizing to, to Kit, maybe it was both of them, that they hadn't seen me crying very much or hadn't seen me grieving very yeah. much. And I realized that what I was communicating, like I would try to not be crying when they were around. Okay. Just but, to be liked for them. Like they had enough sure, going on. Yeah. They didn't need mom to be sad too, right. is what I thought in my head. But I think ultimately it looked like I was being really strong and like too strong. I think strength is a good thing. Sure. But being too strong isn't always a good thing. And I feel like I was kind of communicating that there wasn't a lot of, a lot of tears and things like that. And so at one point I remember just saying like, I'm so sorry. I just, you know, I'm trying to be joyful when you guys are around not to bring you down, but then I'm also kind of communicating that I'm not grieving very much. And I am, you know, I've had Um, a similar experience when my mother passed away. It seemed like I was the guy who was all together through the whole situation, and then when it came time and people were, you know, after the funeral, people were going their own separate ways, that they expected me to continue to be strong, and I couldn't Mm -hmm. be anymore, and I hit that point to where I crashed. And Mm -hmm. I needed people to be there for me, and they had already moved on. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I I can see what you're talking about. You can't always be the strong one. Yeah. Yeah. And it does communicate something, you know. Um, Absolutely. And can can communicate something negatively is what I mean yeah. by that. Like what yeah. you're saying is that, yeah, it looks like, oh, well, I guess we don't cry about this. And I guess we just carry on and we put a smile back on. And and that's true sometimes, but it's not always. Right. No, I, yeah, definitely. So David mentioned a little earlier and he told me after, um, listening to the Robcast that you had talked about rebooting your life. Was that the result of this period of grieving or what, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> um, 
So rebooting your life came when we were at some point we had started talking about should we ever sell our house at the beginning of Hadley's death we could not even conceive of leaving that house and leaving her bedroom and that kind of thing and then a few years into it we were kind of like hmm I wonder if we'll ever sell the house and then another year or two later it was like I think we should think about selling the house um so I think about the time Holden was in recovery or he was at on-site, somewhere in that whole season, we decided to go ahead and put the house on the market. And it took us a while. It took, like, our realtor's a friend of ours. And I remember we started by saying, hey, I think we're going to think about doing this at some point. And then it was like, hey, do you want to come over and let's talk about doing this? And then a few months later, it was like, okay, we're actually, now we're ready to think about taking a step forward and doing this. And usually we're pretty quick acting people. Like once we've decided something, we both like move and get Mm -hmm. on it. And this time it was like, we we had to take it in steps. Like Mm -hmm. we couldn't just go for it um, because there was just too much at stake. We had built that house for Hadley and that meant taking everything off her walls and I think we had already given her bed away at that point. I think so. And maybe even kind of started to turn her bedroom into a guest bedroom. And Were the kids on it, in on that decision-making process, or was that strictly between you and your husband? They were. They were in on it. Um, Holden was gone, and so we, you know, kind of ran it past him, and he was kind of like, you guys do whatever you need to do at this point. Like, yeah. he was in such a hard place. Um, and Avery was on board, and then... So much so that a couple, I think after we really started thinking about doing the house, I kind of was sitting around one day looking around at everything, and I just said out loud, I kind of think that we should sell everything. Hmm. And I thought they were going to say, no way, like, we can't do that, you know, and they both said, let's do it. Wow. Wow. And so then as the process started happening, Aaron and I would look at each other and we're like, you mean everything, everything? (laughs) and we'd both say everything, everything, and we were like, okay, and so then our house finally sold, and we knew we were going to be going to work at this Young Life camp. We were going to go volunteer for about five weeks, so we knew we were going to be leaving in June to do that, but the house sold like a week before we were doing that, so all of a sudden, we had to put it in full gear and get everything out of there as much as we could because we would only have like a little bit of time to come back and actually close on it and have it ready for them. So now all of a sudden we're in like speed mode and we put it on Facebook for two days, I think sent out emails and just said, come get it. It, Pay what you can. If you can't just take it. And we literally opened up the doors and would say, you know, unless we show you something in a bedroom, that's kind of off limits, but we'll like, you know, we would show people furniture and bedrooms and stuff, but basically said anything that's out in this living dining area is yours. Leave some cash in the box if you can. And if you can't just take it. And so I'm not kidding. Almost everything that we owned went out those, the the majority of it went out those two days. We ended up wow. having several more trips of Goodwill stuff and we sold everything and by everything, I mean, Furniture, we kept a few shelves and gear, like all of my husband's climbing gear, running gear, backpacking stuff, all of those things. What about snowboards and skis? 
kitchen stuff and clothes? Are you? Towels. You mean everything? Gone. This is towels, silverware, clothes, bedding. Our neighbor was like, "Okay, I want your bed." So he started by the bed, and I said, "Wait." Do you want all the bedding and the mattress pad and the mat- mattress pad heater and all the pillowcases and all the pillows? <laughs> like, we, Aaron and I were looking at each other. We're like, get it out of here. Just get it. Everything wow. had pain in it. Mm. Yeah. And, we, and, and it didn't have pain to everybody else. Like, I would sure. say the people who bought the things are hopefully not feeling the pain that right. is in those things. <laughs> well, right. our, our ghost hunters could help with that yeah. if we need to bring them <laughs> back right. for that. They might have some wisdom on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just like it held so much pain in there, and oh, we yeah. were over it. And, in fact, three of us, I don't know if Holden's been by the house in the last couple of times he's been home or not, but the three of us drive by it a lot because one of Avery's best friends lives. The only way to get to her house is go past our old house. And um, we all kind of go, oh, every time we drive by it. And it's like a beautiful house. When people come in, they're like, oh, it's like a spa in here. It's so peaceful. So I'm not saying it's like a bad house. It's just yeah. for us. I, I know exactly. We, we had to get yeah. out. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so that literally everything, um, other than like pictures, and then all of Hadley's things. I, we really had a hard time getting rid of hardly anything of hers. So my best friend was just like, "Put it in storage tubs and deal with it later." Mm. Yeah. Just, you don't mm-hmm. you don't have to make a decision on that, you know. And then we kept all of Holden's things for him because he wasn't able to be there to box him up and all that. And so he's now gone through all of his stuff, but we did move all of his things for him. None of us have had any regrets of any of it, which is crazy to me because it was so impulsive and quick when we were (laughs) actually doing it. And then you just keep throwing things in like a brand new crate and barrel patio table set for $3,000 that we spent on it out the door. Like just get it out of here. I can't even look at it ever again. The only thing I regretted was a black tank top. (laughs) (laughs) that's it that's (laughs) funny i was like i should have kept that that's like a basic thing that really i could have just kept but that's the only thing i missed have you replaced much of that stuff then or yes on some level but when we once we built the house well when we were renting we really learned how much we didn't need that we thought we needed Mm -hmm. to live on And so we all three became very intentional and mindful about what was coming in the door. We don't totally, like, we're not super strict about it, but we kind of, well, I'll speak for myself. I will, if I bring a new shirt in the door, I will try to be mindful about getting rid of a shirt. And so, like, rather than buying more hangers, I just get rid of things. Yeah. For the most part, that's not 100% true, but... I kind of try to stick to that. And then we're very mindful about what we bring in the door. Mm. And now that we have the house, that's been, it was a little tricky because for a few months I was literally bringing target bags home every single day. Cause we needed everything. Like we yeah. didn't have measuring cups. We didn't have, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so it was a little hard to feel like we were living simply when you have to replace that many things. <laughs> but there was so much I didn't replace too. Like my kitchen, I have some empty cabinets and drawers and um, our furniture is very light and mm-hmm. our stuff is very light. And that was just part of the reboot for us. We needed new foundation. We needed new walls. We needed new framing in all senses of the word. We needed that. 
I had just felt in my gut that this was something that we needed to pursue. And then it became more clear that it was like, no, I need to watch the trucks pour a new foundation Mm. of our home and of our life. And so we did, we watched them and we watched the walls go up and we wrote with Sharpie markers all over the framing when (laughs) the framing was going up and wrote life giving words Mm. all over it. And so that was like house wise. That was that part of the reboot marriage wise. We were getting lots of help and rebooting that and attempting to, and I think we've done a pretty good job of leaving old ways behind and making new paths and finding new ways to do things. We have rebooted some friendships. How do you reboot a friendship? We, <laughs> well, I would say some some friendships just, you know, if we're not maintaining them, then we find out they're not really staying Uh, And so some friendships were kind of a one-way friendship in some ways. Others, it just looks different. Like we may not spend as much time together. And of course, we still care about anybody who's been in our life, but we've had to become very particular about where we spend our time, who we spend our time with, how we're doing that, and what's life-giving for us. It sounds like there's just a lot of intentionality. Like you're, you're being mindful about what you do and what you own. Yeah. What is the goal of doing this? I think we needed a fresh start. I feel like life had been so hard for so long and there's so many views on how much of that is spiritual, how much of that is just life, how much of that is that we were contributing to the drama and the trauma in our life. Mm. How much, you know, like we were trying to evaluate from all angles why things were so hard all the time. Mm. It's like we hardly got a break. We were the friends that we'd send an email or a text out to our friends and there would be just like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like another traumatic event? Like we were those people. And we're pretty light people. We're not like heavy. I don't think we're super dramatic, but drama and trauma was following us around and we had to stop that crazy train. Like, Do you think the reboot helped to just put an end to that cycle? Yes. And some of that was just getting out of that space. Like we needed it to look differently. Most of all the deep pain that, that started unfolding in our lives happened in that house. We just needed a new landscape of all of it. It's like the roof held something over us that we needed to get out from under. So, Leith, if let's say that someone's listening to this right now and they say, hey, that kind of sounds like me. It just seems like every other week or a couple times a week this stuff happens to me. And it's just, it feels like this, this cloud is following me around. And I can't sell my house. I can't give away all my stuff. I can't build a new house. I can't totally reboot my life. What would you say to somebody like that? Well, I would say that everybody can actually reboot their life. It just, there's a different version for everybody. And Lamott, I don't know how the mm. exact quote, Aaron knows it, but where we got this whole idea of rebooting your life came from an Anne Lamott quote, which was basically everything works better like a computer if you unplug it once in a while and reboot. We are going to do our first event May 5th and 6th in Colorado Springs called Rebooting Your Life. And I can send you the link, Dave, if you want to um, yeah, absolutely. check it out. But we are going to be talking about basically 
you know, reimagining your life and if you feel like you are in a rut and if you feel like your life doesn't look the way that you had hoped it would or thought it might, what, what our thoughts are on that. And I think that the answer for everybody is not to sell everything they own. Right. That's mm-hmm. not the right. answer. <laughs> I think for a lot of people, it actually kind of is the answer. You'd be surprised at how many people have sold everything that they own now. Oh, really? And yeah, we have had several people say that that part resonated with us and we're going to do that. It's been amazing. We've had some great stories from people who have done that. That's not what's going to be true for every person, but we do believe that everyone deserves a fresh start. Our homepage for the registration for this event says, basically, well, I'll just read it to you. It says, let's reimagine your life together. If you could reimagine your life again, what story would you write? Maybe you feel stuck in a life rut or simply feel you aren't living the life you were made for. It's easy to find yourself down a path you didn't want or you're eager to do something new. People like us want to live a meaningful life full of intimacy, connection, joy, creativity, beauty, and adventure. We rebooted our life, sold everything, started our life and marriage again. We'll help you explore what a well-lived life means to you and how rebooting your life can radically improve your future. That doesn't mean selling everything for everybody, but, but what does it mean to explore what living a well-lived life means like for yeah. you. Yeah, that's um, a great question. What does it mean to live a well-lived life? Hmm. And, I, and I like what you said, too, because it, it's so, just like we were talking about with the stages of grief where, you know, this is the same thing, rebooting the life. It's not like, okay, here's the formula. Now follow this, and mm-hmm. you've got to do it like this, and you've got to be here at this point, and then get rid of this, you know. Like, no, no, no. Right. It's okay to kind of customize it a little bit. Yes. Seven steps to yeah, a successful life. Yeah, seven <laughs> steps. That's what we like. It'd make a great book. <laughs> <laughs> that would. And it would sell. Um, but it's just too, you know, you can't diagnose what somebody else needs. I mean, there's some people who I can look at their life and say, you definitely need to sell it. Sell all this, scrap it, and get out of here and try again. Like, I would encourage some people to do that, but that's not true for everybody. And sometimes it means living your life with more intentionality or, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with your codependency that's so worried about keeping people happy around you. And and let it let it go those directions is what I'm hearing you say rather than saying, you know, it's, it's good to have an idea of what you want to do, but, um, you know, just to kind of embrace it might mean something different to you and you might not go quite as far mm-hmm. as you guys did. Maybe they'd go farther. I don't know. Right, right. Uh, we are getting, it's hard to believe, but we are getting to the end of our time together again. And we didn't even talk about Brave Beauty. Can you, Lisa? Oh my gosh, I, I, yes. Well, I want to, my goodness, I want to talk about Brave Beauty and I want to talk a little bit. I mean, I also, like we've said, might want to, if Aaron would be interested in being on this podcast, we'd love to talk to him. We love you guys. Yeah. We love your family. We think you guys are cool and we love mm-hmm. what you're doing. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll just, we'll put you on here as much as you want to be on. So. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's talk about that. We can do something else. I know Aaron, I'm sure he'd be happy to chat with y'all too. And, um, yeah, I'd love to talk more about Brave Beauty at some point too. Can you give us a little plug for Brave Beauty? Tell us a little bit about Brave Beauty. And I, and I would like, I think Brave Beauty deserves its own, uh, podcast episode for us. We'd like, I'd like to do that. 
Okay. I would love to do that. Um, yeah, I can just give you a snippet. Basically, um, when we started it, it was, we just kind of had this idea, um, a couple friends. I felt it kind of in my belly brewing up, and then we built it together and kind of didn't even know what we were doing. We just said, if we if we could do something like offer a retreat or something, what would we call it? And we hmm. found a name for it, and then just started emailing people and saying, hey, we're going to do this event. We're going to have a couple speakers, and I'm going to share my story, and a couple other people are going to share their story, and does anybody want to come? And we had like, I don't know, 65 people, well, probably 45 sold out spots right away. Wow. And then we found a way to open up some more if we went to a little bit different location, and so we did, and those spots sold out pretty quickly. So we were kind of like, oh, my gosh, people want something called Brave Beauty. We don't even really know what we're offering. We're just (laughs) calling it this and saying it's a retreat. I had felt from the beginning when, when I felt this thing brewing in my stomach was that this was not to be a typical ministry, but more of a place for people to be, women to be loved on and smell Jesus, but maybe never saying his name. Yeah. That, stayed very consistently clear to me, even to this day, it's clear that that's what I was being called into. I was feeling a little vulnerable and thinking, oh gosh, should I just let this whole thing fold under, like really what is brave beauty and, you know, whatever. And everyone encouraged me not to do that. And so my husband was just like, I think you should just put a, just have a happy hour at a restaurant and say brave beauty is hosting a happy hour. Just do something to put a name Brave Beauty on it, you know, mm-hmm. and just to have an event again to kind of get the ball rolling. And so I spoke with a friend of mine. We were out on a walk, and she said, well, I've been kind of thinking about doing these happy hour things with this other thing, and we're completely unrelated to each other's businesses. So we were just collaborating together, but there was no, you know, tie in there. And so we started hosting these Super Soul happy hours once a month, <laughs> and we've been doing it for about over a year and a half now. And we have between 25 and 40 women coming every month to those. We have happy hour and open it up for discussion. That's just a really cool night. It has really evolved. And I always tell people, don't be worried when I say we watch a video, because if you told me that, that's not where I would go spend my Saturday night. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) It provokes really cool discussion. You talk about, you know, the the odor, not odor, but the aroma, I'll say, the smell of Jesus, and, um, you know, and and I, to odor, I know, (laughs) well, hey, come on, it's been a long day, but I I love the odor of Jesus, the odor of my Savior, Uh, sorry, but no, I love the idea of of that, and I totally respect and understand someone who says, no, I want to be more, have that name and talk about Jesus very um, specifically, that's cool too. I love that you guys mm-hmm. were able to come to that agreement, but I would much rather have someone come to an event that I was a part of and have it saturated with the presence of Christ and walk away feeling the shalom and peace of Christ rather than having heard his name a certain number of times. Mm-hmm. And that's not a knock on your friend. I mean, I, you know, at all, right. I get it. That's, that's cool. Totally. There's a place for that, but I think what you're doing is really cool and I want to hear more about it. No. Yay. <laughs> okay. Yes, let's talk again. Uh, no, because we're about done. We're out of time. Lee, thank you so much again for being on the podcast, for being on an open letter. 
and I, and I hope that uh, people find out about your ministry. So again, thank you so much for for spending your time with us. You don't know us. You're just some weird guy in the uh, <laughs> some weird guy in our emails you and says, "Hey, be on my podcast." But, but at least you know we have one now, and we're not just some weirdos out here. It's legit. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it, is le- it is legit. But um, <laughs> any last thing anyone wants to say? Any last yeah. thoughts, Carol? I just say I want to go to one of these retreats, and it's just one more reason why I think we should move to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I don't know about moving to Colorado, <laughs> but um, I think that it would be really cool to have Carol be a part of one of these retreats. I would love it. Yeah. Oh, it'd be awesome. <laughs> awesome. And, hey, if you guys you think about May 5th and 6th, Colorado Springs, Reboot Your Life. Well, again, uh, Lee, thanks so much for being on the program. Uh, I just love you the way you're throwing yourself out there and just doing, hey, let's do this. Okay, why not? Because I think so much of the church is people are like, you know, we, we're we going to pray and we're going to sing about it and we're going to do this stuff. And then we just come back and talk about it again next week. And then and then <laughs> months go by and years go by and you're still talking about doing stuff. And, and then you're old. And you haven't done anything. <laughs> And then and you don't do it. Yes. You, and you're out there impacting <laughs> lives, so awesome. All right. Thank, thank you, you. Leith. Have a great night. All right. Thanks, guys. You too. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. You have been listening to An Open Letter. Uh, appreciate it. Hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Leith McHugh. Uh, quite a story that she has to tell. Uh, really a story coming back from grief coming back from um, such incredibly painful, devastating loss and the things that she's doing to turn that around. The thing I love, Carol, is her getting healthy and her husband getting healthy. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was much uh, very interested in kind of how that process happened, but we only have so much time to talk about stuff. So thank you for listening to An Open Letter. If you want to contact us, we, uh, we're, we don't have very many contacts and then we feel sad and lonely. <laughs> because we're not hearing from you, our favorite listeners. And we know that you're busy, but we need to hear from you because otherwise we get sad and we cry and we'll have our own tear soup. But um, <laughs> so we, uh, you can contact us. Get a hold of us on Facebook. Uh, our page is An Open Letter, or you can email us at An Open Letter to You. That's the number two, the letter U. An Open Letter to You at gmail.com. Email us. But also, please, please, please give us reviews on iTunes. We, uh, we want to show up there because the more people who leave reviews, the more people, the more it gets out there and know about our podcast. All right. Hope you guys enjoy the podcast again and have a great night. Mm-hmm.